welcome to the Grit and Grace podcast. This is episode 19. This is Tanya Bruton, of course, your host for the show. I'm so glad that you are here listening. As always, I appreciate you very much. I appreciate your continued support. Um, For this episode, I have a very special guest on with me tonight. This is, by the way, a pre-recorded episode, so this is not a live broadcast. But it's pre-recorded to be broadcast, of course, first on Truth Seeker Texas Radio, and then later to YouTube and Spotify, as usual, on Thursdays. But tonight I have with me Miss Alicia Nickerson Chambers, my grad school sister. We went to TW together, and we're both going for our master's in women's studies, I believe. And that's where Alicia and I come to know one another, and we've been close ever since then. And that was back in 2008. So I've been knowing Alicia since 2008. Wow, that's a long time. So, and she's always uh, been supportive of me and what I do. And I really appreciate her. I appreciate her insight. I'm really excited to have her on because she does have such, well, she's smart. I was telling my family, I said, she's so smart. This is going to be a good show. She's going to have a lot of good stuff to say. Go ahead, Alicia, and just briefly introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us who you are and and where you come from and what you're doing nowadays. Hi, my name is Alicia Nickerson Chambers. Um, a little bit about myself. I hold a bachelor's from Texas Women's University. Tying in, I'm in grad school at TWU. And so all I know is that I am very passionate as an educator. I own a tutoring business. It's Tutoring Solutions and Consulting. Um, if you're interested, we're located on Facebook and Instagram all one word so feel free to check us out we do k-12 through and undergraduate tutoring classes as well and we also do resume help and some more things with career searches things of that nature so tanya is my buddy and we're going to have a fantastic uh conversation so let's get into this miss t all right so Awesome. And we're going to, I'm going to have you mention some of your information you gave out again at the end, just so we make sure that they get that if they want to check into that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And yeah. So what brought this topic up for me or what really got um, it started? um, Drugs really are coming into the church, you know, and then I got to thinking, well, if you took back when I was um, back when I was out in it, you know, I affected the lives of my husband. So wherever he went to church, there's one person affected. My mother-in-law, her church, there's one person affected. My sister-in-law and so forth. I I believe that every church has at least one person who's affected by um, alcoholism or meth, heroin, fentanyl, Xanax, or pain pills, which are made, which is made stuff. And I'm like, if it's not Sister Susie, who's the only one coming, it's her husband or kids, her mama, her daddy, or her sister. And we have to minister to the entire family, whether they're all in the pew every Sunday or not, right? That family is a Right, right. And are we being effective in ministering or responding to the addiction crisis? I don't feel like we are. And so I feel like this would be a good discussion to look at what we're doing wrong and what we could do better. I know when I was out in my addiction, my husband reached out to churches Sometimes we both reached out to churches together. And to be honest with you, it's no fault of their own. They just didn't know what to do with it. They, it, they're, they're not informed, but we can get informed, right? I mean, we can educate ourselves 
on the problem. And the thing is, is you, I think one of the number one things is the first thing is education. Like we have to, we have to see, we have to know our enemy. We have to know what we're fighting. And so. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Go ahead, Alicia. It is a uh, multifaceted problem because so much of addiction is tied to poverty as the articles you sent to me um, kind of went into detail. You know, the churches are doing a great job, you know, in regards to homelessness. But homelessness is only one aspect of social issues that we need to address because with so many homeless, there are drug addictions, there are mental health issues. There are issues that also have to be compiled upon their homelessness. And, you know, you need to address them all at their surface level and try to get like some kind of comprehensive plan in place prior to addressing any of those issues. You know, you know, there there's not enough research and pairing with social services and you know the churches can only do so much because they have counselors of course they have counselors uh, when it comes to marriage comes to personal issues but these are issues of addiction and so you need people who are specifically trained in these fields to sit down with the people the churches again like i said they're doing a great job when it comes to homelessness i mean I've seen so many churches offer food and street ministries and uh, places for people to stay and things of that nature. But when it comes to sitting down and having a kind of face to face with people about some of the trials and tribulations that they're going through, you don't see that quite often. Right. I agree. And I think, you know, I think the main reason is, is they don't understand addiction. And like you say, it's a multifaceted thing. It's in, but I don't think they understand the, the depths of it, all the nooks and crannies of it. And the fact that it is a disease, that it is genetic, that socioeconomic factors are involved. Mental health factors are involved. There's a lot of factors involved, but for example, one thing that, I mean, and I, I, I like how you point out that the church does do a great job with homelessness. Like you say, food pantries and, and things like that, ministering to the elderly um, and, and things like that, but they don't know what to do with addiction. And the few attempts that I've seen them make are not very effective. For example, what gets me is they lump in a meth addict with someone who can't stop eating sweets, for example. And you can't go at those two different things the same way, right? Because nobody prostitutes themselves for chocolate cake or steals from their mama and daddy or takes your catalytic converter for chocolate cake. I'm not going to go to jail or prison or abandon my children or put them in harm's way because I can't stop with the Oreos, all right? Sweets, chocolate cake is not demonic, it doesn't have spirits and entities attached to it that are going to influence you. So you've got to like, you can't, you can't lump all these things in together and just be like, well, if you're codependent or if you, if you're a little anxious sometimes, or if you're a heroin junkie, it's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing at all. And we need to know that we need to talk to addicts. If you would talk to an addict and listen to them, they would tell you that. Would you agree? Oh, most definitely. I agree. It's, it's, it's totally, I hate to say this because I don't want anybody to come back and be like, well, you said there's a hierarchy. Well, you know what I did? Because that Oreo cake 
or Oreo cookie and those chocolate cakes, compile those on and on and on and on and on. You're going to get health issues. They're going to be chronic, things of that nature. That first hit of something that is dosed with something else could be life ending for yeah. you. That Oreo, that Oreo cookie is supposed to be regulated by the U.S. government, but they're not regulating what somebody's putting in their home kitchen and cooking up for the people out there on the streets. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. Um, all things have counter uh, effects and things of that nature that you have to deal with. But I will say that that Oreo cookie, unless you are diabetic and your blood sugar is extremely high, that there is not as good as a likelihood that that Oreo cookie is going to take you out the same way that some dose up kind of jacked up drugs are going to do to you. So I'm just saying, I couldn't agree with you more. Right. <laughs> Right. And and another thing, current measures are in, ineffective. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. So another, another reason those, I think those are ineffective. For example, uh, I know a local church, they have a recovery program that they uh, created and it's one night a week. Well, that's great. Say it's on, let's say it's on Monday night at seven. I don't remember, but let's say Wednesday morning, it's eight 30 in the morning. And I talk about this like I might might have some experience with this. And uh, I'm pacing the floor and wearing a hole in my floor because I'm fiending like crazy. Well, that meeting was day before yesterday at 7. And there's not going to be another one for five or six days. What do I do? Well, you know what? I'm not going to say the name of them, but there's valid 12-step programs that have been around since the 30s and have been successful that I can go to in where I live anyways. Anytime at nine o'clock in the morning, noon, 6 p.m., 8 p.m., every day of the week, I can go find another drug addict or alcoholic that knows what I'm going through, that's not going to judge me, and that's going to, you know, give me some experience, strength, and hope, or sit there and talk to me for an hour if need be so I don't get high and I don't drink, right? And all it is is a room full of addicts that are recovering and following some principles, some spiritual principles together, right. And doing their best to support each other. And I think that's what's missing from these church made church made programs, right? They see the success of these 12 step programs, these secular 12 step programs. They see that they're semi successful, but they don't have, you know, their version of Jesus or religion in it. So they kind of take it and they revamp it. And it doesn't work very well. As a matter of fact, treating drug addiction, what I was reading in one of the articles, Alicia, I don't remember which one it was, but it was saying that it's such a daunting ministry, such a difficult ministry, because the results are so few and far between. They're so difficult to, it's very difficult to get results. And when you do, by the time you do, 10 more people done got high. So it could be very exhausting and very frustrating, you know, to tackle something like that. But, you know, God gives us wisdom and, you know, I mean, God, Jesus can set anybody free. It's not like the church can, the church is not like you say, um, the church can't do everything. And, and I don't expect them to at all. 
I just uh, think it would be great if we could just maybe educate ourselves and become better at responding in love to this serious problem and bringing them to the Lord so he can set them free. I think something that would be helpful is it's great if they have these weekly meetings, but what about one-on-one discipleship, you know, are they maybe pulling those people to the side once or twice a week and, you know, maybe discipling them one-on-one in addition to these group meetings where they're lumped in with the chocolate cake people, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm real big on discipleship and deliverance ministry. I mean, like I said, there's demons attached to this stuff. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, no, um, I agree, but a group once a week, you know, with somebody who is facing an addiction seems just a little, just a little scarce in treatment. Um, it seems like they would have to have a lot going on, like do, being an outpatient, you know, being something else that they can go talk to, do some group therapy, because, you know, like we were talking about other, these things are dual diagnosis so many times, and it's just like, you know, how are you going to just address addiction, not address the mental health issues. This person seeking any kind of care for somebody. I, I've been blessed because my sister is a social worker and she went to school and undergrad for psych. So I've been blessed to you know, kind of hear all of the kind of, you know, the information that she'll tell us over the years about these different situations. And, you know, and one thing we have talked about quite a bit also is her not bringing religion into it. The same way me being an educator, I can't bring religion into the classroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think as people grow more spiritual and then other levels, people grow away from God. I think it's interesting that there aren't more places like a good JCC or a Jewish uh, community center or a something that would be equivalent for the YMCA on that level where they aren't addressing these things in the community, knowing that they're coming there for that religious purpose first as well. So, yeah, yeah you, this is good, Tanya. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I will, and I was about to go into that next point was my next point was, okay, if your church or ministry team isn't equipped because not every church has a counselor on staff. If they're not equipped, um, there's a couple of things that I suggest they could do. They're Because they're just not. They're just not. Right. And I mean, I get it. You could, if you don't have a counselor on staff, right, then you could have what I would call, this is what I came up with, a lay person could do this, but uh, be an addiction liaison. And as an as your addiction liaison, people know that uh, they don't. Right, I like that. an addiction liaison. I like yeah. that. That that's a, that's a really so, good that's a really good uh, title uh, for it. Yeah, but as an addiction liaison, I would I would be like per, I would let everyone know this is available. Okay, if you're an addict and you're struggling or you've relapsed. You don't got to go to the pastor and embarrass yourself. You can come to the addiction liaison in confidence. I can't treat you, but I can connect you with resources that can. Um, It's my job to research the issue, to stay educated, to know all the resources available. And Well, where's the confidentiality in that? Do you think that that's something that we would want to keep separate from the church membership, the, the leadership, I should say, or... I would, I would say so because people, they need the uh, safety of confidentiality in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. agree. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, well, I better watch what I say. So I'm going to get myself in trouble on on this show one of these days. We have to support addicts like that. 
I mean, I got upset and, and just wanted, uh, I was just really highly upset the other day thinking about this because I'm like, people don't understand how hard addicts fight. They don't understand that we don't choose to throw our lives away, right? That this stuff has a grip on people. And once we get free, we have to fight really, really hard to stay free. And we need people's support. Don't kick a brother when they're down. Do not kick the sister when she's down, right? And I mean, they have to have a safe place they can go to where you're knowledgeable and you're connected with other organizations in your community. Like you said, some sort of, you know, boys and girls club type thing, right? We And so I was going to say, if what I was saying was, if your church or ministry team isn't equipped, work with other organizations that are, partner with them, put part of your benevolence toward that right? Is any of your benevolence, like you, you say, goes to the building fund, we got stuff for the children's church and for the homeless right. pantry. Can you put 5% towards drug addicts? Right. Treatment's right. not free. That, yeah. sounds like a, that seems like a fair percentage, 5%. Yeah. Seems like a fair percentage, 5%, you know, again, you know, and it's just, that's again, because we talked about the multifaceted aspect of homelessness and the mental addiction and all sorts of things that they have people in place in the church that are going to be able to address these issues in society, you know, you should have a part of your budget allotted towards the programs that they're going to need for the salaries of the people that are going to assist in the recovery. You should have these things in place. Definitely. I, I think 5% is a little low Tanya. to be honest, to be honest, I, I think five is a little low. Yeah, I agree. You're right. And I mean, ultimately, like I said, the person that set me free was, Jesus Christ, you know I me, mean? the Holy Ghost in me is the person that set me free from my drug addiction. But I don't know if I would have ever come to this place, though, of freedom without the support of the man who discipled me, the man who led me in forgiveness and learning how to forgive myself among above everything and and learning how to like get free and delivered from the things that I allowed access and permission into my life right ultimately it's Jesus that sets us free you know I mean the truth you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free and, and he'll Amen. set you free indeed right? but I mean but the church should be here as a loving uh, arms of support that these addicts can fall into and we can guide them to that right through discipleship and through community. I think community is a great word. We need to be a community for addicts, a safe community for addicts right. that is educated about their problem. And, and we know it's just not bad decisions. We understand you come from a broken home. Oh, we forgot to talk about fostering. Oh, before we wrap it up, I don't want to forget that. Alicia, let's talk about what you read on fostering as part of really. Oh, yeah, fostering. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The most effective way. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Like I was saying earlier to Tanya, um, I think fostering is when I read this lovely article that she sent me about different ways that we can be effective as people that are believers and helping with the drug addiction issue in the U.S. and on a global scale as well. This is to foster these children out. So you're not doing that cyclical abuse pattern. Um, those children are going to see what it is to be in a normal, stable home environment. Um, they're going to see what it is to have a loving family. Not to say that 
parents who are addicts don't have the capability to love their children or dealing with their issues on their own. And I'm not saying that they don't have moments of love and care and compassion for their children. I would never say that. I think that would be a hugely judgmental and illogical statement, but it's just more or less affected. There's a greater likelihood that the child is going to do well if it's in a stable household environment rather than being in an environment where there's drugs and other kind of uh, social ills going on. So, But that's definitely another thing. Yeah, so I just want to say, though, to anybody out there, uh, pastors, ministers, people with, fam- you know, that, with families that are struggling, you guys reach out to me if y'all need anything. Um, you can email me at gritgraceministries at gmail.com if you want me to let you know what things uh, would help your ministry coming from a former addict well yeah someone with experience in this issue and someone with knowledge you know of the word and and i have a lot of knowledge about community resources and programs please reach out to me i'd be more than happy to help you out in the meantime we're coming to a close remember to um you know tune in again next wednesday at six i forgot what time my show comes on 6 p.m central standard time for a new episode i'll let y'all know on monday normally on facebook what that's going to be about Um, until then again youtube and spotify links will be up and uh, available on thursday just continue guys to be blessed in jesus name i appreciate alicia you coming on alicia go ahead and if you could let us know about your tutoring i have some homeschool mamas that might benefit from your tutoring services so speak slowly and give them your contact information and i'll put it on yes homeschool tutoring Yes, Tanya hit the nail on the head. Homeschool tutoring. If you are in need of those services, y'all should see Tanya. If you're in need of those services, let me know. Um, definitely can get you in the afternoons and evenings, uh, weekends as well. I can do online or in person in uh, the Metroplex. So just let me know. Tutoring is so vital for our kids. These kids are still behind a couple grade levels because of the pandemic. And they're still being tested and expected to know everything at the level that they are being taught at. So there is no um, no slacking for them in the classroom. So it's no slacking for you as parents and these kids and tutoring. <laughs> and, and how do they and how do they get a hold of you for that service again? What were uh, what is that called? They can go to tutoring services and oh, excuse me, tutoring solutions and consulting at Facebook or Instagram or use it all as one tutoring solutions and consulting all spelled normally at gmail.com my number uh, to my google voice is located on facebook and instagram so you can text me and email you an intake as well all right and i will also post that information onto the facebook page um after the broadcast so you guys can reach out oh thank you dear appreciate it yeah, no problem. Thank you, sister, for coming on and helping me with this discussion tonight. I hope you have a great no problem. Till next time. Be blessed, my girl. All right. Hey, guys. This is Tanya with the broadcast after the broadcast. Kind of like the meeting after the meeting. Thanks for listening to this episode. I wish I'd had more time to talk with Alicia. This episode really inspired me, and I hope the same for you. Some key points. 
The addiction problem is now a crisis, and it is in our churches. Here are some stats and figures I wasn't able to mention. So from DrugAbuseStatistics.org, National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, their key findings, listen to this. So it said half of people 12 and older have used illicit drugs at least once. So they, this is, a, um, you know, of the general population, at least half the people 12 and older have used illicit drugs at least once. 700,000 drug overdose deaths in the U.S. since 2000 are nearing 1 million. Uh, the federal budget for drug control in 2020 was $35 billion. The federal budget for drug control in 2020 was $35 billion. As for drug-related deaths, accidental over drug overdose is a leading cause of death among persons under the age of 45. Over 70,000 drug overdose deaths occur in the U.S. annually. The number of overdose deaths increases at an annual rate of 4%. Um, listen to this one. From 2012 to 2015, and I can imagine what that is now, the U.S. saw a 264% increase in synthetic opioid, opioid um, deaths other than methadone. That is crazy. Um, between 1999 and 2017, over 700,000 people died of drug overdoses in the U.S. Stimulant abuse. In 2018, 1.8 million persons in the U.S., 12 years and older, reported meth use in the last year. That was in 2018. 1.8 million people. Alcohol, though legal, alcohol kills over 95,000 Americans every year. 86.4% of people ages 18 or older report drinking alcohol at some point in their lifetime. All right, and then 70% report drinking in the last year. Um, all right, dependence, addiction, and mental health. Uh, let's see here. 9.5 million Adults over the age of 18 have both, 9.5 million, have both a substance abuse or disorder and a mental illness. Substance abuse disorders affect over 20 million Americans age 12 and older. Um, going on, I'll skip through this. I think that was it. So, yeah, back to key points. Uh, next key point, uh, proposed suggestions for modifying current methods so we can better affect change are number one education research reliable sources uh talk to seasoned servants right uh get their experiences how they tackled it and how effective they were um and then talk to former addicts right uh because why number two we must know our enemy Certain powerful demonic entities are attached to certain drugs, guys. You got to know this. Meth is different than heroin. And, um, you know, um, and I'm not, not saying anything's better or worse or nothing like that or, or of any hierarchy, like Alicia said in the program, but you got to know your enemy. You got to know how to fight it um, and what will kill it, right? Or so to speak, right? Um, this requires we use a specific spiritual strategy that can't be executed in a lecture-slash-class format. 
all right and next would be addicts need a sober community we always tell them to that they need to change uh, people places and things well it's hard to change people blocking the old ones is one thing embracing the new ones is another I mean me for example um, you know I have a big network I mean I'm blessed to have like a huge support group but you know I just continue to meet new people I love meeting new sober people um, because I need them in my life right um, you know that there's a uh, the book of Narcotics Anonymous, I believe, says this one. The therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel. In other words, um, that's pretty self-explanatory, but there's nothing that compares to another addict helping another addict because they've been there, done that, know, and understand, and they don't judge, right? Um, all right, so replacing old ones is one thing. Uh, embracing the new is another. We must embrace them. And make ourselves or someone we partner with available to them on a regular basis. Because remember we talked about in the episode about if you don't got it, partner with another church, partner with another organization, another nonprofit, right? Partner with them. Um, all right, and the next would be counseling and discipleship is essential. I went through a year of intense uh, weekly counseling with a Christian counselor who took me through the process of forgiveness and deliverance. I found him in the, quote, church building, right? Um, that's kind of how it works in the initial crisis phase. They're guided through the process of forgiveness and deliverance, discipleship, somewhat like maintenance, but it's more how Christ modeled relationship. He calls us friend, right? Thank God. But he commanded us to make disciples and we can see addicts set free in Jesus name and become very powerful disciples and witnesses for Christ. Last key point. We do our best, but Christ only does the work. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is for freedom that he set us free. Amen and amen. Be sure if you were blessed by this, if you learned anything or if this was helpful for you, um, comment, like, share, um, let me know, let your friends know, let your friends listen, share your Spotify link, share the YouTube link, share the Facebook post. I appreciate it because I just want to get the word out there. I have a heart and a passion for addicts and I want to see them set free and I want to see the church, um, that is powerful, the powerful bride of Christ to be able to love these addicts and to be able to see lives changed, right? We can make change. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. And I love you guys. Be blessed in Jesus name.